Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. I'm Aaron McMahon. On this week's episode, we will be discussing spring sport athletes getting an extra year of eligibility, a variety of topics related to Michigan football, including recruiting and the offensive line, and where things stand with Michigan basketball at this point in the offseason. All that and more on this episode of the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. right to all our listeners thanks for uh tuning in hope you guys are are staying safe and healthy always uh, the weekly check on you guys how are you guys doing as fantastic as i can be being cooped up in my apartment yeah i'm I'm doing all right i'm doing good all right i felt me different so i'm good that is good that is hanging in there i've started a a workout routine here in my basement um are the weights 12 pounds each that's that's we don't need to get into the amount of the weights it's uh it's more about, you know, toning than building up too much bulk. I don't want to get too huge during this, uh, you know, stay at home uh, order. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but all right. Yeah, we're talking here about a lot of different things. There's actually been some news, you know, in the sports world to discuss. We're not just uh, kind of reaching for, for, for topics uh, to talk about, although we will do that later. But uh, the first thing I want to talk about is spring sport, uh, athletes in the spring sports, um, have been granted officially by the NCAA uh, the ability to come back for uh, their fifth year, or basically even if this was their senior season, they can have a do-over uh, as they were cut short significantly. Winter sport athletes like those who didn't get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament uh, for basketball, not the case. But spring sport athletes such as you know baseball, softball, and others are getting back uh, that extra year. I guess Ryan, you know what what can you say about that before we kind of give our opinion? Yeah, it's not just seniors, too. I mean, freshmen can reclassify as freshmen next year. Okay. So, I mean, this is going to have a huge impact moving forward in the next three, four, or five years um, with, with if there's a lot of these seniors um, that return. Or in baseball's case, I spoke with Eric Backage today, the, the head coach at base or for the Mission Baseball team. Uh, juniors, typically, they typically have a lot of juniors that get drafted and, and turn pro after their junior season. But with the uh, MLB draft being reduced to five, 10 rounds, that's kind of unclear at this point, and the draft likely being pushed back, they might have more juniors coming back too, taking up more scholarships along with those possible seniors that can come back. Um, so there's, it's going to have a lot of ramifications on, on all spring sports, but especially baseball because it's – the uh, and it's a little bit – confusing not confusing but like so seniors can come back but the school does not have to honor their scholarship either mm-hmm. so they can come back and offer them a wall if they were on scholarship this year that school can opt to not put them on scholarship for their final year um it's kind of just how how the cookie has to crumble at this point but a lot of moving parts uh Bakich doesn't really know how things are going to move forward he's taking it day by day right now um and we'll see we'll i mean for instance Michigan has nine juniors this year, and I my guess would be at least four or five, six of them would have been drafted in a traditional, in a usual year. But now, with if it's only five rounds, maybe you have a, a Jeff Criswell and a Jordan Wogu, a star pitcher and a star outfielder for the Wolverines. But if you're a guy like Jesse Franklin, he had two great, two solid years at Michigan, but did not play this year. He was hurt, supposed to come back later in the year, but with the season canceled, now there, he probably doesn't have much much, much draft stock at all because no, no scouts were able to see him play at all their, this whole season. So um, and even one-on-one evaluations changes. So this is this is a big big move by the NCAA 
And it will have a lot of financial ramifications too, especially with the NCAA announcing last week that they're cutting distribution by uh, 375 million or something like that to uh, to its member schools. So it, a lot has to be figured out in these next few months, and there's going to be some changes coming in in college athletics. That's for sure. Sounds like roster sizes are going to grow for most of these sports. Um, not only that, but but then you've got to most of these teams most of the players on these teams don't get full scholarships or divvied up correctly, like in partials and stuff. Correct. Yeah. So for baseball, there's 11.7 full scholarships that has to be divided among 27 players. And then, yeah. so the roster limits typically 35, then you would have eight walk-ons. So the ro- baseball is the only uh, spring sport that has a roster limit. So that's going to be increased this year. But after that, you still have to get back down to 35, but those freshmen can still like it. it there's a, a longer lasting effect than just this one season. So it's not going to be a one year thing and everything's back to normal. It's going to take a, and even for like high school or high schoolers. Now, if you're typically, if you're in the top 10 rounds, you can maybe weigh your options and whether you're going to go pro or not. But if you're, if you don't get, if you're maybe a six round pick typically, but you don't get drafted because the draft's only five rounds, you're probably going to go to and play college baseball now. So there's going to be more talented younger players pushing for positions and there's going to be experienced players back that want to keep their jobs too. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what, what comes to this. Yeah. That's I think a good thing for the coaches too, right? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know it's going to be a lot more work on their part and there's going to be a lot of tough conversations. These coaches are going to have with some athletes. If they, Hey, maybe we, uh, we would love to have you back today or in the usual year, but there's there's not really a spot for you. Or it's going to be tough telling a a player that you've had on scholarship for four, three, four years, and then saying, "Hey, like there's we can't give you a scholarship for you to come back another year." So I, I assume there's not going to be all the seniors and all spring sports aren't going to be coming back. I'm sure a lot of them will graduate and move on to careers in in different fields, but there are going to be some that want want to finish out their careers playing athletics and. It's gonna, it's gonna change. It's gonna be changed. Yeah, it does create that log jam. I don't know why I was only kind of thinking initially. Oh, the seniors who you know this would have been it for them can come back, but no, the every every uh, class kind of just reclassifies you, you. You reset your season completely, and yeah, it uh, impacts and be felt for the, the whole four year cycle essentially um, as they try to try to work on those scholarships. Um, and yeah, winter athletes not getting that luxury which we talked about it on this podcast last week that was just it made sense i mean as hard a truth as that is to 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 tell someone who you know uh like we'll use an example here at michigan Xavier simpson and john teske you know um hey sorry you know you're about to take the court for your first postseason game against you know rutgers and we're trying to win a big 10 championship we're trying to go to the sweet 16 you know for the fourth time in in your career uh, and maybe beyond that your season's over, but at the same time you played 90 plus percent of your season. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just, it just made, it made too much sense not to, not to yeah. do it the way they did it. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, most of, most of the teams in the country weren't going to play, you know, NCAA tournament game anyway. So it's right. like, you know, most of some, in some schools or seasons were done. I mean, they were already eliminated from a conference tournament or didn't qualify or whatever, whatever the case may be for their respective leagues. But, yeah, I mean the winter for them not giving the winter sports another year just to me made made total sense. Um, another topic I want to talk about, which you can hear on our, uh, I think it shows up on your your iTunes or, or podcast feed as just our headlines of the week, um, is and then this was one of them. 
was Ward Manuel, the Michigan athletic director's comments about the next football season and what kind of maybe to expect potentially playing games uh, in the big house with no fans. Uh, I have some thoughts on this, but I guess, Aaron, if you could first just kind of lay out what Ward Manuel said, the context, uh, you know, uh, of his comments. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the college football world the last few weeks, I guess, from from a national perspective of what's going to happen this fall. And there's been there's been so many things thrown out there from not having a season to having a short season. I even saw a report saying that they would start the season in July or something. There are a lot of things thrown out there. So, I mean, this is one of those. Um, you know, Ward Manuel was on a podcast last week uh, with John Jansen in the trenches. So it's a Michigan-produced podcast. Um, he was asked about a myriad of things, including the cancellations of tournaments, the scholarship situation. He was asked about the budget for the fall. And he brought this up, I thought was interesting, because he brought it up on his own. He wasn't asked specifically about this, um, but the, the notion that potentially Michigan, the football team, could play games in 2020 in an empty big house. Um, he brought up on his own, you know, he, he said, if we do come back to play in the fall, you know, w- would we play in front of a crowd? He kind of asked Jans and, you know, and then he, he kind of went on to, to, to ask the question whether maybe crowd sizes might be mandated to be smaller by the Big Ten and the NCAA, or maybe perhaps the Michigan fan base, you know, worried that the coronavirus would return, maybe just won't show up in mass to, to games like they have in the past. Um, so that's, that's kind of all, you know, hanging, hanging out there right now at this point. And I, I thought the fact that you know, Ward brought up on his own t- tells me it's on his mind whether that's coming from the Big Ten or maybe it's his own idea. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, but it, it, he isn't the only, the only person to say this. You know, I've seen reports from CBS Sports and other national outlets quoting um, uh, you know, um, athletic directors or administrators at other schools, usually anonymously, and they're, they're asking the same questions. Will there, be, you know, will there be fans in the crowd for football games this fall? Will the games be played? Uh, so that, you know, it's, it's a topic that is it's starting to creep in um, whether it happens or not, obviously remains to be seen. We still got several months to go before you know camp even fires up. But it's it, it, I thought it was notable that that Ward kind of you know brought it up on his own. I'm just confused by it. I mean, Ryan, go ahead. I did. I just know if if you are in the big house and you're sitting in the seat at the big house, you're definitely not social distancing because you are packed in tight there. Yes, the the numbers between the <laughs> the seats are you know because for for those I guess who who don't who haven't been. It's bleacher seating. There's no individual seat. So it's really just as many as they can as they can squeeze in there. But okay, here's my thing. I know there was a very short period, uh, not long ago, where we had a couple of days where there were games without fans, or at least discussion uh, in, in, in the NCAA tournament case. It never got to that because it got canceled. But um, the Big Ten tournament game I was set to cover was not going to have any fans anyway. Um, so there was a brief period where we thought like that made sense. But now we've learned more about this whole thing. I'm wondering in this scenario, and again, I'm not expecting you to answer for Ward Manual, Aaron, or whatever, but in this scenario, he 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 posits like where is, is campus open? Is the University of Michigan campus open for students? Because if it's not, you're not playing football games. You're not bringing these these football players back. I mean, I know college, big time college football is essentially professional football without professional athletes. It it, it, it is. Let's not pretend it's not big business. And that people wouldn't love to see it, even if you know you couldn't go to it to watch it on TV. But that's just not going to happen. And you know, if campus is open and you're allowing people to go to classes and ride the bus together and and all these other things, then 
yeah, sure. There's going to be some individuals who are like, I'm not going to sit in the big house so close to people. Just like there might be some people who take it a step further. Like I'm not going out to eat until, you know, 18 months has passed from this thing. I don't know. But, you know, if, if a governor or, you know, some other, the CDC isn't stepping in and saying we're you know, we're, we're banning this. Um, I would see it, you know, as long as campus is open and life is somewhat back to normal, that there would be fans in the stands. And if there's not, there won't be. I guess I just am having a hard time seeing a scenario where players are out on the field competing and doing all the stuff that that precedes that, you know, being in a locker room together and all their other team activities and not having fans in the stands. I mean, I, am I missing something here? Either you guys can pay. Totally agree with you. You know, if you don't, if it comes to a situation where they're considering not playing a football game in, in a stadium with, with fans, then why are we even playing the game to begin with? You know, <laughs> right. I, I think I made that point with the NCAA tournament when it was happening. Like, if you're not going to leave one in the building, uh, then you shouldn't be playing. Because, I mean, if, if, you know, these guys are sweating on one another, they're up, they're hitting each other, especially football. They're, they're hitting each other, they're yelling at each other, they're, they're close quarters to one another. And even on the sidelines, they're standing next to one another, sweating breathing on one another. So in a, in a way it's, it's a very similar situation to as it would be if a fan was sitting next to a fan in the stadium. I mean, so it's, you're right. You know, I, I don't know how realistic it is. I don't know how, you know, if it, if it could happen or what happened, um, you know, I, I just, I thought it was notable that he brought it up and it's you know, like, sure. we talked about it with the tournament and, and you're right. I don't, I don't know. I, I think to me, it's got to be an all or nothing thing. You either open the stadium up, uh, you know, to the public and play the game or you don't play the game at all. And I, I was of that opinion when they were, you know, discussing it for the NCAA tournament too. Right. So we'll, you know, we're still, like I mentioned, we're still f- several months out. We got a lot, a lot of time to, to weigh here. Um, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's interesting, uh, interesting thing to discuss. Right. I mean, I don't know. To play devil's advocate to my own argument, you could say, oh, well, you could test all the players and coaches. You can't test the fans. I don't know. There's like a hundred guys on these teams going to be doing it like weekly. How well, you know, it's just, it's not a, it's not a good use of tests. Uh, it seems, it seems a little silly to me, but again, yeah, long way away by June, July, August, uh, you know, it could be very clear that there's not going to be a football season. I think that is a distinct possibility. I believe ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet has said that's what he thinks going to be no season. Um, they're talking about this this virus, and I've seen you know medical experts on TV talking about this. But it, they're 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 suggesting that the coronavirus could come back in the fall. You know, I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. But if that does in fact happen, then there's there's got to be from the from the NCAA and the conference perspective, there has to be some concern there about whether or not you send uh, student athletes out onto a playing surface to play it to play a game. Absolutely. Um... All right, let's look a little more into into the future, uh, but with some some uh, a topic that we have a little more clarity on, and that would be recruiting. Uh, we'll talk football and and men's basketball recruiting here. Let's start with uh, with football. I know there was a there was a reader question. It was a perfect time to highlight the Wolverine Confidential subtext. If you want to get questions into this podcast, uh, you can do it through uh, by subscribing to the text message service. And submitting your question that way, and we we got some that way, did we not? And we did, we did, we got a few. Go ahead and read the the football one, or yeah. just or just address it. Yeah, we will start. With, I guess we'll, yeah, I got two questions this week. I put out a question, uh, a call for questions. Um, we got two specific ones. I thought we were really discussing. One was from seven oh excuse me six oh seven area code. I won't read out. It's the full full number, but you know they they asked about specifically football. We've lost out on some of the top running backs. Once again, to the hated Buckeyes. Where do we really stand with Donovan Edwards? And it, could we be losing him? Could, could Michigan be losing ground to Georgia? 
Yeah, I actually wrote about this the other day, kind of what Michigan's chances are uh, of landing Edwards. And um, at this point, I mean, he, he has over 43 offers right now, and he hasn't named any official finalists or anything like that. So his recruitment is still open, and he's still getting uh, getting offers. And even this past month, he got a few offers from down south. He got Auburn down there, and Georgia's making a push. Uh, but Michigan's been on him from the start. He he has two teammates, Cornell Wheeler and Makari Page, that uh, he that uh, are both at Michigan now as part of the 2020 class. Uh, his coach, Ron Bellamy, was a former receiver at Michigan, so there's definitely a lot of ties there. He's been on multiple trips to Ann Arbor, so he definitely has that local uh, local factor in his favor. But yeah, it's going it's to be a recruiting battle. I mean, George, he's the number three overall running back in in the country. I mean, Michigan hasn't landed a, a guy like this and since Derek Green back in 2013. Um, he, he is a big-time player, a big-time prospect, which kind of shows with his 43 offers. Um, I, I, can't, I don't want to say Michigan's the favorite right now. Um, the latest, the latest uh, crystal ball projections on 24-7 sports, uh, three of them ha- still ha- have him as undecided, but one has uh, Edwards picking Georgia, but everything before that, I mean, the Buckeyes did have a couple, but they're pretty much out right now after landing two of the top six running backs in the class, including five-star Trevion Henderson, who Michigan was also in the running for um, before he picked the Buckeyes uh, the, uh, in March. So, um, yeah, it's it's a wait-and-see game at this point. The the re- recruiting moratorium on right now is, is not going to – could actually help Michigan because he might have to push some visits back that – he hasn't been on yet down south, but at this point, it's too early to tell. But you should definitely not think that Michigan's out of it by any means. I still think they have a, a really good shot at landing them. Yeah, I mean, their coaching staff has been from what you know I've heard and read. It's uh, the coaching staff's been hard after Donovan. I mean, Josh Gaddis showed up to the high school. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has been uh, they've been talking to him nonstop. Uh, I think this is a recruit they need to have. They need to get just from a I think a momentum recruiting standpoint. Um, obviously, and then the talent too. I mean, that's that's key here. And they, they they haven't had a t- like you mentioned, they haven't had a running back of this caliber in a long time. Who um, could be a game changer? So it's you know, I, I do think him. And again, this is me just speculating, but I think him being in the state of Michigan, having all those ties to the University of Michigan, whether it was his coach or his former teammates, I think those do have to weigh on him and help him help Michigan. Um, but again, you know, every every decision when it comes to football recruiting is individualized. These kids decide to go to different schools for different reasons. All it takes is one little thing to sway to sway minds. So it's Georgia could do something or you know pull it out, pull something out of the hat, and uh, you know and land them. You, you don't know. So until he makes a decision, you, you just never know. But I do think him being from the state, his head coach, you know, having played for Michigan, his, his former teammates there already here, um, it's it's got to help. It's got to help Harbaugh. From from what I've gathered, Michigan has told him he's their number one priority in this 2021 class too. So I mean, if you're if you're recruiting, you hear that that's got to feel pretty good knowing that you're a school's top priority. So and if you think about it, if they land Edwards, you already have five star quarterback JJ McCarthy um, that's committed, and then now you have two four star offensive linemen that are already committed too. Uh, one of them, Greg Crippen from IMG Academy in Florida, just committed last week. Uh, he he decommitted from from. Notre Dame earlier in March and then switched to, to Michigan last week. So then you would have, uh, that's a good base of offensive talent that you have to start that 2021 class, which would go a long way. That would be three top 100 players in the country after Michigan didn't land any top 100 players in his 2020 class. So although they only have four commitments right now, three of them are, are pretty, pretty highly regarded recruits. 
Shout out to the 607 area code, by the way. That's my old stomping grounds of the Binghamton, New York area, Elmira. That's where I I was for a year or two between Queens and and coming to Ann Arbor. So uh, there we go. All right. Um, And we had a, do we have a, we had a basketball kind of recruiting question as well. Yeah. uh, Coming from the 734 area code, uh, any update on the basketball recruits who have not said yes yet? Right. Okay. So as in, I assume I take that to mean not said they're committed anywhere yet, which would would be, uh, yeah, you got, you got two in the top 10 nationally, uh, Greg Brown and Josh Christopher. Uh, They both have tentative commitment dates of uh, April 13th for Josh Christopher and later than that, April 24th, which is after the April 15th signing date uh, or period beginning um, for for Greg Brown, who's more of a forward uh, or is a forward. Christopher is like a two guard uh, from from California. Um, You know, the Christopher has been very. uh, he hasn't really tipped tipped his hand in where he said he's going. He's got these he's got these uh, you know four schools that were in the mix: uh, Michigan, Missouri, Arizona State, and UCLA. Uh, he has fun on social media uh, with this recruitment. Um, That's just, an understatement. Just yesterday, he put out a new top five, and it was those four schools I just mentioned: the logos, and then. Con- Kentucky's logo X'd out and USC's slapped on top of it. Kentucky was in the mix months ago, uh, but kind of mutually decided to go in a different direction. I mean, it sounded like Calipari was just like, hey, I need an answer now. And Christopher wasn't ready. And Calipari went and signed some other five-star. So um, I'm not sure why USC wasn't simply just added to this list, why he felt the need to slap them over the Kentucky logo. But, you know, I got it. We're getting a laugh at it. Someone made him mad, apparently. Yeah, so so be it. So now uh, we've got a new, uh, uh, you know, new hat has entered the ring. Um, And that's that's USC. So we'll see. He's got family connections to Arizona State and Missouri. um, But a lot of people believe that Michigan um, is, is the front runner here. Um, I was actually at a uh, women's basketball game when Christopher was, was visiting. I saw his, I kind of saw his, uh, um, um, you know, interaction with Juwan and, and saw the, saw the yellow, uh, bright maze, I guess, sports car that Juwan was taking him around in. So, um, we'll see, we'll see where he ends up going. Um, we've talked about the, and then same for Greg Brown, who I haven't talked about him as much simply because, um, you know, the recruiting people seem to believe that he's, he's maybe leaning elsewhere uh now christopher would be a huge get i mean this kid is a you know future nba player that's the belief a big time scorer uh you know off the ball um you know could really play either either guard spot in certain lineups um but he's kept it you know pretty close to the vest we'll, we'll see where he ends up uh deciding um you know michigan scholarship situation needs to be taken in, into consideration uh, they're already over the limit now with the five they they know are committed. Um, so yeah, I mean something something's got to give there, and it could be Isaiah Livers deciding he's going to go pro. It could be Franz Wagner deciding he's going to go pro. It could be uh, you know a player or two transferring, um, or one of these commits not coming. So we don't know how it's all going to shake out. But uh, you know there's only there's only 13 scholarships right now. They've got they've got 14 if you count the five committed players. Josh Christopher would push him to 15. So uh, it will be interesting uh, to monitor, but uh, yeah, I think they're still in, they're still in good shape, but we should, we should know more over these, these next couple of weeks. Um, And we got to talk about the offensive line. We said we would, it would be dishonest if we didn't. Um, That's the position group we're focusing 
uh, on today. Uh, yeah, I don't want to put you to a time limit here, Aaron, but if you could give us maybe just before we, you know, let, let Ryan kind of weigh in on some of these guys, uh, a, a rundown of, of where things stand, who left, who's coming back, you know, the, an idiot's fan guide to the Michigan offensive line. Well, they're going to have to place a lot. They've got four guys obviously leaving the program or have left the program already. Um, and they got the only, only returner back in the fall is Jalen Mayfield. Uh, there's no indication that he is going to be leaving uh, or moving from his right tackle spot. So he is pretty much locked there. The other four spots are very much up in the air. You know, the one good thing about the offensive line the last couple of years is, is Coach Ed Warner's done a good job of, of backfilling. He's, he's gone in and he's recruited well. He's, he's been able to fill in the depth. There are a lot of bodies in the offensive line, but a lot of youth and experience. Um, some guys that have started to come up, the, I guess, the ranks, so to speak, the last year or so that have been in the program for a few years. So they are aware of, you know, Ed Warner's teachings, how he likes to work. Um, the system, the offensive system, they, they're, they're now a year into Josh Gaddis's um, kind of a spread RPO scheme. So the, the, the base is there. Now they got to go put together. There are several guys, you know, back in February, I did my um, position by position breakdown. Um, I kind of did my projected depth trend of what I think is going to happen. Obviously, it's subject to change and probably will. Um, but right now, I, I, I forecast Ryan Hayes being the, the starter at left tackle. We saw him early on in the 2019 season. He started the um, first two games there for John Runyon, who was injured. Um, but he, 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 he received a lot of praise during that time. In fact, I think after one of the games, he was named the Offensive Player of the Week mm-hmm. um, by, the, by the team. So he, he showed a lot of promise. He's, I think, 6'7", north of 315. He's got good size. He, he's almost like a bulky basketball player. And I think he fits uh, Josh Gass's RPO scheme very well. Uh, I got Chuck Filiaga finally starting at left guard. He's been in the program now a couple of years. Um, toward the end of the season, Ed, Ed Warner did say that he felt like Chuck Filiaga was finally coming on and, and in a way has earned his right to be a starter. So unless he loses um, you know, loses it in, in either fall camp or spring practice, whatever they get to at this point practice-wise, I think Chuck Filiaga can be the starter at left guard. Uh, center is kind of up in the air at this point. Andrew Vistardis, I think, has the edge just on the experience. But Zach Carpenter, uh, who redshirted last year, will, I think get a look as well. And Andrew Stuber is the biggest question mark here. Um, he missed all of last season with an injury. Um, he's expected he was expected to be co- to come back here in the spring midway through, or so they were hoping to be 100. percent If he is if he is 100 percent like he was a couple of years ago, I think he is a, he is a, uh, a a good good candidate to start the right guard spot. He, now he he wasn't a competition at tackle. Um, with Jalen Mayfield going into 2019. But I, I think there's a feeling he can play at guard, and, and Warner has said so. So I think at, at some point, if, if he is healthy, I think he's got to slide He's got slide in at one of those guard spots. So I could see maybe him or Filiaga changing at this point. But if Stuber's healthy and, and available and what he was a couple of years ago, which is a big if, uh, he will get a starting spot. Now behind those guys, there's a ton of guys. There's Joel Hollink Ford. Um, he, was a, he was a backup tackle last year. Nolan Rumler. Who came? In, he 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 redshirted last year. He could play center or, or guard. Zach Carpenter, same thing, center or guard. Jack Stewart, another redshirt freshman, center or guard. And then Carson Barnhart, um, I suspect. I think they they want him as a long term tackle. He was getting a lot of praise at the end of last season for the, the progress he made in practice and the scout team. Uh, look for him to fill one of those that, that backup tackle spot. And other than that, they got they got several guys coming in from a, from a, the recruiting class perspective. A lot of a lot of guys there, like I said. Um, there's depth, but just, just again, not a, bit, not, not a ton of experience 
Um, they're going to have to move these guys along. And I think that's where hurts not having practiced this spring. I think more than anything is you can't develop some of these younger guys, but there are guys there, like I said, and that the Warner's have to kind of plug in place and see what he's got when, when he's able to do. It's not the sexiest position group to talk about, but there's a reason we kind of talking about it, you know, kind of early in this list of groups, because it is critically important to the success of a football team is your offensive line. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I guess to take a slightly pessimistic view to this, we've got one returning starter. I mean, that's a fact. There's only one guy who started last season who was returning. There is one other guy, no, two, two others that have started games. You mentioned Hayes has, you know, filled in for Runyon last year and Stuber started, I think it was like the last two games of 2018. Um, this other guy, I mean, Vestardis is, is a former walk-on, yes? Who's, mm-hmm. but he's, he's, you know, he's, walk-on, yeah. he's now a redshirt senior and, you know, uh, Billy Aga's a redshirt junior, I believe, will, will be, you know, next year that is. Um, so there's some experience just from being in the program. But yes, seeing the field for meaningful snaps, um, you know, not just on special teams or in mop-up duty along the offensive line, um, that that's the biggest question. But I do think there's there's some talent there. There's some, there's some upside with some of those guys like Filiaga and especially Hayes. I mean, you mentioned that, the, that the, the staff was really high on him last year and kind of having those raw tools. Um, but still, Mayfield, too. I mean, Mayfield, yeah. I think, is a guy who, if he excels in 2020, he's a guy who could leave, I think, for the NFL early. I mean, he's, okay. he's got the, the tools and the ability. There's some talk of, of NFL teams liking him already. Uh, so he's he's definitely a guy to pay attention to there at the right tackle as well. All Big Ten-type, you know, sleeper, potentially. Okay. Yeah, I, I do think so, 100%. And like you mentioned, the, the line is going to be so crucial this year, given that we're going to have a first-year starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a, a crowded running back room, as we discussed last last week. Um, they got they got to find some holes for these guys. The running they, the, the offense may have to have to rely on the running game, especially early on this season. If they, if they can't get any you know continuity with the quarterback situation, uh, so the, the offensive line is in the key this year. I think how the offensive line goes is how the offense will go. I mean, if, if they're able to move guys and, and create holes, I think this offense will be fine. Uh, but if they can't protect the quarterback and they can't create holes, Michigan may have may struggle this year on, on offense. And without spring practice, the offensive line, that's where it could really hurt too, not being able to gel with these these new guys come in and not being able to gel together and get to learn each other's ten- tendencies a little bit too. That could be that could be costly come the fall if, if they're not able to get those reps in together before before the games start to count. Yeah, they've got several guys, Reese Atterbury, Jeffrey Percy, Zach Sinner, guys they like that are coming in the program this year as, as true freshmen. But again, none of them are going to get those spring practice reps under their belt. Uh, so, you know, I don't think they're going to get much of a look this year. And there are other guys out there that I haven't talked about, like Trevor Keegan. Um, I mentioned Jack Stewart. Trent a. Jones is a name there I didn't mention. Um, he had a lot of hype coming in last year. So there are other guys there that maybe could could make a spot, whether they're a potential star or, or backup. But again, like we said, there, there isn't a ton of experience. Here. A lot of guys that haven't, haven't done it under, under fire or in meaningful reps. And, and, and that's where I think Michigan needs to, to see the biggest progress this year for them to kind of take a step forward on offense. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're going to be a, uh, you know, a program that, uh, you know, is running the offense that they want to run, uh, you've, got a, you've got a mobile quarterback who's also getting the ball out of his hands quickly on pass plays. You don't need a, a line that's, uh, you know, holding up for six, seven seconds, you know, on a pass play. But you still need to be able to, like I said, move people off the ball for your run game, you know, and everything else. That's really where it all starts. That's where football play starts is with the offensive line and 
there's question marks just because there's a little uncertainty, but it doesn't mean there's not potential there, um, which I feel like is something we're going to be saying for a lot of these a lot of these position groups across Michigan's roster. And in a way, I want to give Ed Warner almost the benefit of the doubt because what he's been able to do the last couple of years, I, I think of of the offensive groups on Michigan's roster the last, I'd say, two years, the offensive line has taken the biggest steps in in development, in cohesiveness, in improvement. I mean, we saw a really good line last year. We saw, I think, an improving line at the end of 2018. And, and I think Ed Warner deserves a lot of credit to that. Now, yes, Michigan had a lot of talent. You had Ben Bredesen, who was, a, who was reliable there at left guard. Cesar Ruiz was, again, a former number one center coming out of high school, so he had a lot of talent and stuff. But they were able to get the most out of those guys. And Ed Warner has shown a, he has a long track record of, of developing guys and getting the most out of his offensive linemen. So I think, you know, if you give him time, I think you'll be able to bring these guys along. But like, like you said, Zook, and like you said, Andrew, you know, the, the lost time here in spring could certainly hurt a group, a group like this. Absolutely. Well, we'll be back next week to take on another position group, cover any uh, news that has happened with any of the major program, any of the programs involved with Michigan athletics, um, you know, and check in on our listeners. We, we, we appreciate during these times, maybe more than ever. Again, thanks for listening. That concludes this episode of Wolverine Confidential. 